Well, it's a privilege and an honor to again stand in front of you in this pulpit, which has so long preached the Word of God. And once again, I hope to do that. The Word of God is what changes us, is it not? It's not my words. It's God's words. Well, let me say right off the bat that Mother's Day is a mixed bag. For many of you, it's a wonderful day. It's a great day of memories. It's a great day of joy, fun. But according to many in our society, Mother's Day is one of the most painful days of the year. Uh, many uh, families, many women are struggling with the concept of motherhood, whether it's been denied them, whether they don't think they've done well with it, whether they have regrets, longings. Um, I just want to say right off the top, I'm, there is grace for everyone in this room today. God says there is grace for you. Joy producing, head lifting, forgiving grace. And we want now not to focus on past errors, but on God's great grace. One of the things, too, I would say is this is uh, not going to be a message uh, just to mothers. In fact, I do have a target for my audience today. Uh, it's directed at everyone who has ever had a mother. All of you, yes, you've got it. Today, I believe God wants all of us to live lives of impact. And the reason I picked this message is I really believe that mothers, in, by and large, are one of the greatest examples God has given us of people who love unconditionally, support absolutely, that sacrifice greatly, and that make an impact on people's lives. Now, many people say, well, I didn't have a good mother or I didn't know my mother. But by and large, mothers are the type of people who make an impact. And I believe God wants all of us to make an impact. We're not here just to occupy space. So you might think, well, I'm kind of older and I've missed opportunities to have an impact I'm kind of cruising toward the last stages of my life. And I will once again say, that's not correct. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. It's never too late to start having the impact that God wants you to have and maybe you've always wanted to have. It's never too late. So just like Paul said in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind I press on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. So what we want to do right now is whether your past was glorious or your past was less than glorious, the past is not what controls us today. The grace of God enables us today to live for Him today and beyond, and we want to make a difference from Him today and beyond. Okay? So let's start with having some basic understanding of what influence and impact really is. My message today is living a life of impact. According to Merriam-Webster, they would say 
Influence is the capacity or power of persons or things to produce effects on others by intangible or indirect means. The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command or authority. Remember this. And impact is simply defined to have a direct effect or impact on. Isn't it kind of funny? They define the word by the word. Not very helpful when you're in class and you want to try to give the definition and they only define it by itself. Um, to influence, once again, it brings influence in, and to change an outcome. See, to change the way people behave or act or think when you're present can largely be a matter of control. Parents, you know that for young children, you're not really using influence on them, you're using authority and control. You have the ability to make them do most of the time what you want them to do. But as they grow older, your authority is traded for influence, hopefully. Now, many of us get to the end of our child-rearing years and realize we haven't really invested much in the influence side. But influence is really what causes people to do the right thing when you're not around, right? This is, it's like they say, true character is what you do when no one's watching. And so I want to say right now, both can have an impact, influence or control. Control is not wrong. Authority is not wrong when used godly, in a godly way. But we have to understand, most of the people in our worlds, guess what? We don't have any authority over. So what does that mean God wants us to use? It better be influence, because without influence, we have no handle, right? So if you ask the world, what does it take to be influential? What does it take to have people think and do what you want? Well, they probably tell you, Money. Money buys power and influence. Are they wrong? Are they wrong? No, they're not. It actually does work in this world. If you put enough bills on the table, you can get a seat at the table. Right? I mean, everybody is going to say they don't have a price, but you go to that restaurant and you lay $200,000 on the counter, I'll bet you they'd find a seat for you, <laughs> right? Money can buy certain things. Um, fame, does fame do anything for you? <laughs> Man, I can call the restaurant and say, hey, I'd really like to go to the top of the mark and eat dinner, and they'll say, I'm sorry, we're booked for three months. And the and a celebrity shows up that day and says, oh, right this way. <laughs> hey, you just told me three months. What's the deal? Fame does have an impact. Um, sometimes physical strength or beauty, or sometimes athletic skill. We in this culture seem to somewhat revere athletes as having a brighter opinion, kind of like politicians, right? Uh, any celebrity, right, that has a view on a polit political issue should be listened to, right, because they're a celebrity, right? No. Okay, I don't want to go there. But what makes things people, what makes things in our lives that would make people want to listen to us. Well, God's idea of what makes a person influential and having true impact is so different than the world. 
most of us wouldn't qualify for many of the things on the list I just gave you. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not famous. I don't have a lot of, I don't play in a pro team. It's obvious. Um, I, I can't get the things that this list might say we can get. But God says that's not the important thing anyway. To impact people for the kingdom of God doesn't require anything on that list. So if you don't have them, sweat not. <laughs> now, let me just give you a quick example. Many people have watched some athletic competition like a football game, and at the end of the game, a large man, maybe 350 pounds, gets interviewed, and he's got grime, grass, blood all over him, and what does he say? Hi, Mom! <laughs> Hi, Mom? Okay, what is that? I'm guaranteeing you that that mother lost physical ability to control that man long ago. What you're looking at is pure influence. This is the kind of thing we want to have in our worlds for Christ is influence that supersedes size, wealth, skill, position. It impacts every area of life. Well, we're going to look at three things, three people from Scripture today, and we're going to take out four key characteristics that I think are essential for us to having the kind of impact God wants us to have. It's not the world's list. This is going to be God's list. And I'm taking these things from the example and the examples of three people. And those people, I think, show us these things. People of impact are people of purpose, people of presence, and I'll explain what that means in a minute, people of persistence, and people of prayer. Now, I didn't try to get cute with peas. My brother, I told him my message, and he goes, why are you getting so cute? I said, this worked out this way. I, I, all I'm saying is, if it helps you remember, great. It wasn't intended to do that. It was intended to be purpose, presence, persistence, and prayer. Now, before I talk about these things, I want you to understand that I am not trying to minimize two basic foundational pieces that's got to be in every one of our lives as we want to share Jesus with our world. First one is that we fear God and want to please Him more than men. Now, the first way we fear God, I must start here. The first way we fear God is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as His Son and our Savior. Because the fear of God gives us wisdom, and wisdom says, no, Jesus, his son. There's only one way that we can please God, and that is through Jesus Christ, his son. So if we don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man, fully God, fully man, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended on high, and a soon-coming king that has taken away our sin, we cannot please God. We must start there. But the first thing is we need to be people who please God and not men. Paul said it this way in Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, 
Paul lays the groundwork here for us that one of the things that's really critical for you to know is we all don't want to be thought of as unpopular. Uh, we want people's approval. We kind of want our kids' approval. We want our family's approval. We want them to like us. We want them to think well of us, think we're cool. We want our neighbors to kind of think we're hip, right? We don't want to be, be thought of as oddballs. But we cannot please men, nor should we try. We need to please God. And by pleasing God, that is how we will have an impact. If you try to be pleasing to all men, you'll fail anyway. Um, I think the second one is, uh, it doesn't mean we need to be offensive. Uh, we don't need to be rude. Uh, in fact, Paul would say it this way. Having impact is not about popularity. We just read that we need to please God, not men. But it all has to be about love. He said, if I know every language on the map, right? If I knew every language, I could speak to every people group in their own language. I had all knowledge. I could fathom all mysteries. I had faith that would move mountains. I offered my body to be burned. I give all I have to I possess. He says, I am nothing. I gain nothing. So if you don't do what we're going to do right now, these four things, underpinned with an absolute devotion to pleasing God and loving people, you won't win. You won't succeed. Okay? I'm not trying to minimize these things. But I do believe there are people in this world who are so loving. Man, they're lovey-dovey folk, but they don't seem to have a lot of impact. I mean, I love my kids, I love you, I love, I love, I'm, I'm not offensive to anybody. And I would say they don't have a lot of influence either. And there are people who say, I'm going to please God, that's really in their heart. But they're not effective at influencing people. And I would say these four things we're going to cover are the reasons why. Now, let's go back here. Um, the characteristics start with know your purpose, focus, being deliberate, having a reason for what you do. We can become distracted, can't we, from what's really important in our lives? The hectic pace, entertainment, novelties, games, friends, it doesn't, the list is long, but we can come distracted. Um, and in fact, most of us, I think, are a little bit like the story of the guy driving down the road, and the guy in the back seat says, hey, how we doing? And the guy in the front seat says, well, I don't know where we're going, but we're making really good time. <laughs> Is that you? Are you making really good time in life, but not really sure where you're going? That can be a problem. In fact, we're driven from activity to activity. And there was a little book written a while back uh, by a guy named Charles Hummel in 1984 called The Tyranny of the Urgent. I don't know how many people have heard of that. It's a great little book. You want to do what's important in your life, but somehow critical, urgent things crowd them out. So you're in your house. Let's paint a few pictures. You're in your house. You're trying to have a quiet time with your family, with your spouse, with your children. 
and your phone beeps with a text or the doorbell rings, what to do? Is the quiet time more important or the text? Uh, you're in your office and you're writing an email and somebody comes in to talk to you and they say, can you talk to you? Sure. Or you're reading a newspaper next to your wife and you're having a conversation and suddenly you hear those words. Did you hear what I said? Um, okay. Here's what happens. We are often taken off course and distracted by things that don't matter very much. Uh, I've heard it also said, it's hard to remember that your first priority was to drain the swamp when you're up to your neck in alligators. You could have a primary mission, but there are going to be distractions that are going to take you from them. So we're going to look at Jesus and the life of Jesus and how did he let his mission, his purpose, guide what happened in his life. Now, it may seem to some that Jesus went through life and through his ministry, going from place to place, teaching, preaching, where he went really wouldn't matter, who he healed didn't really matter. I was just doing my thing for three years. That is not true. He was a driven and a purposeful man. And how did that impact him, and how could we learn from that today? Well, I would say it's three things. Well, first we have to understand that Jesus was driven even from his youth. Do you remember the story this obedient boy let his parents leave town, didn't say a word. They didn't find out until days later that he stayed behind talking to the religious leaders. And when they came back looking for them, a little bit upset, his response in Luke 2 was recorded, well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? He had a purpose. He knew where he had to be and what he needed to do. It started even from his youth. Now the question is, I think there's three things we can do and learn because of what we see in Scripture about his mission. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in Mark 2, 17, he says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what can we learn right now? Jesus' mission had a who. And the who was not the religious elite. It was not the rich and the famous. He knew who he needed to be dealing with. Do we know who we need to be dealing with? Who is our mission field? Is it our children? Is it our neighbor? Is it our family? Is it our coworker? We need to have a purposeful mindset. Jesus said, I came to the lowest, to the least, to the sick, to the sinner. That's where he spent his time. It helped him manage his time. Why? because he knew his mission. Now, his mission also describes something else. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, 
save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. He knew his role. His role was not to be a king. His, he was going to be king. In fact, he will one day be king of everything. Right? He is king, whether the world acknowledges him or not. But right now, he says, I have come to be a suffering servant. He wasn't looking to find places of prominence. He wasn't looking to find the best seats in the restaurants of Israel. He wasn't looking to find uh, favoritism in, the, in uh, high places in the political scene. He was coming to find sinners because his role was to seek and save the lost, to give his life a ransom for many. He was a suffering servant. What's your role? So what's your role with your people that you have on your list? You have a target of your mission, and it could be your children. It could be your neighbors. Is your, is your role to pray? Are you praying? Is your role to talk with them about Jesus? Are you sharing? Is your role to be present and a friend? Are you being available? It's, the questions are simple. Jesus knew his mission. He knew who. Jesus knew his mission. He knew what. Now, the last thing, though, is I think his mission gave us something that we desperately need. Life is full of traps. Life is full of distractions. Life is full of shortcuts. It looks kind of tempting, shortcuts. There might, I mean, some of you might be tempted for shortcuts into spiritual character, but they don't exist. Let me just share it this way. The Satan had for Jesus two traps and others had another trap. Let me share. In Luke 4, 5 to 8, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you worship me, it's all yours. You can skip the cross. You can have everything given to you now. You don't have to go that painful route. You can go the fast route. You can be king today. Now, that, his appeal failed on two different levels. One is he asked him to worship him, and Jesus correctly caught, you worship God alone. But the other thing is, I want you to catch it, it wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to suffer and die, not to be king. He knows he's going to be king. In fact, every nation on this earth will one day bow before Jesus. He will be king. He is soon and coming king, but he didn't take the shortcut that was offered. He said, you know, there's a way to get to be king without suffering. That looks a lot better than suffering, but that's not his mission. How about the people shortcut? He was entertaining the people so much that one day in John 6:15, it says this, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come, and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. What is that? The people, you're, the people around you might give you public acclaim. Hey, I think you ought to just take this shortcut. It's really good. And you might think, you think it to be okay? Well, if you think it's okay. No, the, the people's voice is not what mattered. Because remember, the people's voice is fickle. Do you remember the story of Paul? on the island of Crete. He was shipwrecked there as a Roman prisoner. As he arrived in Crete, the people on the island says, 
hmm, these prisoners, I don't know about them, but as he prepared a fire, a snake bit him, poisonous snake, recognizable poisonous snake. And the people of the island said, well, obviously he's guilty because if the ocean didn't get him, the snake did. Right? And so he shakes the snake off into the fire and suffers no ill effects. And all of a sudden, their guilty verdict of Paul turned into, he must be a god. Now, Paul could have said, wow, that feels good. I like being a god more than a prisoner, especially a guilty one. But he didn't. Why? Because he knew that's not who he was in Christ. But the point is, Herod didn't recognize that, and we read in another story, when the people acclaimed him as God, he accepted their acclamation, and God killed him. See, we don't want to take the people's word for it. We want to stick to the mission we know God wants us to be on. Don't take the people's word for it around you. And don't even take your closest friend's word for it. Now, this might seem odd, but there's a story that God recorded for us Peter, at the high point of his proclamation of faith, you are Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus acknowledges him, Peter, you're blessed because only my father could have revealed that to you. And then minutes later, after Jesus tells his disciple, by the way, I'm going into Jerusalem to be killed. Peter takes him around the shoulder and says, he took him aside and says, this, this is not going to happen to you. Uh -uh, never on my watch. His closest friend looking out for him, right? But Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in the concerns of God but the concerns of men. See, your best friend may give you bunk advice. You need to trust God and what God says first. If, you're, if you know God's telling you one thing, don't fall prey to the trap of bad advice. Okay, in this section, we want to understand that the same pattern God made in Paul's life. Paul was a driven man, even from youth. It says over and over he was a zealous Pharisee. In fact, he was so zealous, he was persecuting the church until death. He chased them all over the map. But he wasn't on God's team yet. But God knocks him off his donkey in Acts chapter 9, and he's a new man with a new mission. Now, instead of being a missionary, as it were, a priest, a, a Pharisee to the Jews, he's now assigned to the Gentiles. Acts 22 said, the Lord said to me, go, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Wow, a new missional group that he now knows who, right? Now, what am I supposed to do in Romans 15, 15 to 17? It says, because the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become acceptable to God. He knew his job now was to go to the Gentiles and to proclaim the gospel. Pretty clear now what he was about, and that's what he was about for the rest of his life. That's what guided him. Now, did he think other uh, distractions were possible? Absolutely. He wrote about them to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.4. And he put it in terms of the military. And he says, hey, 
No one serving, serving as a soldier of Christ gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So what is he telling Timothy? Be careful of distractions, of traps. So here's what I want to tell you today. Do you know what your mission is? Who are you supposed to be focusing on? What is your role? And are you aware of the traps? Because I believe if you know your purpose, you're likely to achieve it. If you don't, there's no chance. Here's the thing. I just think Bible teaches that people who have impact have a purpose. What's yours? What's mine? Be present now. I don't know if you ever remember, but I had a consultant come into our company years ago, and they had a mantra. It's called, be here now. Anybody heard that before? Be here now. Well, what they understood is that we, as humans, have a bad habit. It's called multitasking. Um, our bodies are present here, but our minds are somewhere else. Now, we're talking on the phone while doing household chores. We're uh, reading a newspaper like I shared before. You're having a conversation with your wife, you think, until you hear those same words I said before. Did you hear what I said? And you admit sheepishly, no, I didn't listen. And you realize, I can't be in two places as effectively as I thought I could. Well, what happens is, I think God shows us by the example of David and Solomon and Timothy and his mother and grandmother that you must be present to win, just like in the sweepstakes. You've got to be there. Um, I don't have a lot of time to develop how Jesus was there with his disciples, but let me just show this. David knew the law in Deuteronomy 6, and it says what Moses received in, in Deuteronomy 6. says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. What he didn't say is, do it all the time. Right? Now, how did that play out in his life? Well, in Proverbs 4, 3 and 4, Solomon writes these words. When I was a boy in my father's house, still young, the only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. What I get out of this is time invested is not wasted. It will be remembered and it will change a life. Time invested will be remembered and change a life. And I'm not talking about time the way we normally invest time. Well, I'm watching the game and you do something else. We're both in the same room. That is not time invested. But time invested is when we're one-on-one -on -one and they know and we know we have each other's attention. We know what's going on in their lives. Um, there's another one in, with Lois and Eunice and Timothy. Um, and I think what we learn here is that 
Faith invested has impact. And it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which, you, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also, Timothy. What? So we can pass on faith. Cool, huh? I mean, if they don't see what we see, it's only because we're probably not sharing it. Most, I don't know if you remember that there is a study out on why kids leave church. And one of the number one reasons was is they didn't see authentic faith at home. They saw ritual. They saw conformance to rules. They saw attendance to church. But they didn't see authentic faith. And I'm saying authentic faith has an impact. Personal touch. And it also says in 2 Timothy 3 that word invested leads to salvation. But he says, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we have a lot of good parents that are really involved in the lives of their kids. They go to their soccer games, they're at their athletic events, their school events, their scholastic events but they're not leading them to salvation. Why? Because they're not investing the scriptures in them. It says right here, how from infancy you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. We need to be people who are investing scripture in people. Now, I would say that if we want to have influence later in our family's life, if we want to be like that mom who has her old son saying, hi, mom, as a football player, I think the way you gain that is by investing now, by being present now, by being eye-to-eye with them now, knowing what goes on in their lives now. Now, if that ship's already sailed, it's still not too late to invest in whoever you're trying to invest in and model these things in front of them. Time, faith, and scripture. So persistence through difficult times. As we run the race God set before us, uh, none of us know how it's going to turn out, right? We don't know how it's going to turn out. But I have a guarantee for you. If you quit the race, you'll never get a prize. Okay, we don't know how our running will turn out but it's a certainty if we quit that we'll not gain the prize. So let's just look at the example that God gave us in Paul. Let's see if he had any reasons to quit. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, is that anybody's experience in this room? If it had been me, Quitting would have been on my mind. I don't like where this is leading, Lord. 
one more beating, I don't really want. One more shipwreck, not for me. You know, can I quit now? Well, how did Paul feel about it? Was Paul always up, joy in the Lord? We read in, in, in Timothy and uh, we read in Philippians that he was about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He writes this from prison. Well, what's, wait a minute. What did it really say? In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. You mean Paul was despairing? You betcha. He thought he was going to die. He probably wanted to die. Several times he probably wanted to die. So in light of these trials and in light of his feelings, what did this apostle write to us about how we should deal with this? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not give up. I don't care how long the road has been, how long that trial has been, how many offsetting troubles you've had. Do not give up. I'm telling you, if you give up, you will not have the impact God wants you to have because God guarantees a harvest if we do not give up. Now, if you heard from a farmer and he said to you, hey, yesterday I went out and planted I watered it real good, but I got up in the morning and I saw nothing. Or a, a, an athlete says, hey, my muscles hurt when I exercise and train. I'm not going to do that anymore. You'd think they're foolish. They're nuts. You see, we have to have the resolve that doing the right thing over the long haul may not be pain-free. <laughs> may be difficult. But don't give up. Don't give up. God promises you will reap a harvest. Now, Jesus was funny. On his way to Jerusalem, his disciples were questioning him, why are you going so fast to Jerusalem if all you're going to do is die? But it said in Scripture, and, and it was a quote from Isaiah 50, he set his face like flint, like a rock. He was determined to do God's will. Are you determined? No matter what comes in your way, are you determined? Because people of impact persevere and have persistence. Lastly, I want to say people of impact pray. Uh, prayer is a key element of living life, right? It's a connection to God. It's our resources. It's our supply. It's our help in times of need. I, I think sometimes, though, we think it's a guilty obligation uh, is something the pastor will ask us, hey, you've been praying? Well, yes, yes. And so we don't want to have a no answer for that, so we pray, just so we make sure we have a, a good answer. Um, the point is, prayer is not a guilty obligation. I want us to think more like, you remember the bell divers uh, long ago in the old uh, horror movies where there was the big sea monster and the guy had the big helmet on and air hose to the guy on the top pumping air? That hose really represents to me the prayer life of us to God. 
Now, we can stand on that hose or cut the hose, and we're not going to be feeling very good. But when we're at the bottom in this world, in a foreign territory, every gulp of air from heaven feels like a relief. It's a joy. It's a privilege to breathe that air. And I think that's how God wants us to see prayer. It's a joy. It's a privilege. I get to connect with the God of heaven, and I know he promises to hear me, and he will meet my needs, and I will have all that I need because he hears me. Okay, now we know in Scripture that many times we don't have. Why? Because we don't ask. Okay, now, so here's the thing. I think there's three things that Jesus' prayer life will teach us that we need to keep in mind. Mark 9, 20, 9, 17 to 29. We remember the story. There was a, par- the, uh, a demon-possessed boy. His father brought him to the disciples. The disciples tried to cast him out and could not. He came up to Jesus and said, hey, I, tr- I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't help me. If you could do this, would you help me? And he goes, if? I mean, Jesus is incredulous at this point. I wish I could heard his inflection. If? What's this if? Um, I'm God. Surely there's no if here. But he said, sure, I'll help. And he cast out the demon. And his disciples were puzzled. And they came to him later. And it says in the narrative, why, why couldn't we do it? I mean, we were around as the 70, going out, casting out demons, healing people. But I got to this one, and I couldn't do it. And he says, this kind can come out only by prayer. So what obstacle is in your life right now that can only come out by prayer? Not by effort. Not by worry. Not by struggle. Not by nagging. Not by weaseling around. But by prayer. There's one, I think that in everybody's life, there's a matter here that's only for prayer. It's only going to happen by prayer. And God wants us to learn Take those things to him. Don't try human effort on those. The second thing we learn from Jesus is that his life was a continual prayer. You know, we heard from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 saying, pray without ceasing. I love this little obscure verse. It's in Luke chapter 5, and it says, Jesus often went away to a secluded place to pray. That's part of his mission, to pray. Is that your part of your mission, to pray? It's got to be daily. See, it's kind of like borrowing sugar from your neighbor. If you have a relationship with your neighbor, you're always in your neighbor's house, they're always in your neighbor's house, you can knock at the door at 11 o'clock at night and say, hey, man, I need some sugar, and they'll give it to you. Try that on someone you haven't even talked to in the last three years. (laughs) Who are you? We don't want to approach prayer with God like, uh, Lord, it's me, it's Tim, and uh, I know it's been a while. And God wants us to be in constant, continual, ongoing, devoted, joy-filling, trust-inspiring prayer. Okay? That's what Jesus did. But also, we also know that we read in Luke chapter 6, there is decision-making that God said requires prayer. And Jesus said when he was picking his disciples, he picked 12 apostles out of all of his followers. He could have said, well, I like him, 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 and him. It said that Jesus went away to a mountainside and prayed all night. Now, I have to say 
Maybe it's not an apology. Maybe it's just a reality. I have never prayed successfully all night. I have prayed, I tried to pray all night, but there's sleep that interrupts somewhere in the middle of that. I'm like the disciples. Why are you sleeping? Okay, uh, that was me. Okay, but Jesus pulled an all-nighter. Now, have any of you pulled any all-nighters in life? Okay. Now, those that did it in school, did every test require an all-nighter? No. But there were certain things in life that rose to the effort of saying, this is worth my time all night long, even if it takes no sleep for me. Is there any spiritual issue in your life that says, this is worth it to me, even if it takes my sleep? I think we need to understand there are some issues in our life, whether we know it or not, that warrant this. And I need to be better at it. Because a lot of these things I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I get convicted on, this is a hard message for me to preach because I am preaching to myself. Let me just close with a a passage here, or a, a story. I think prayer does create impact, not only for decision making, not only for special needs, and not only for an ongoing lifeline of joy. My mom and I, uh, I was going to school. I was a cocky engineering student. I know most people can't believe that, but I was. Um, I, I, I expected to get a lot of job offers, lucrative job offers out of school. I wanted to be the guy that had the most. Um, I shouldn't say things, but that's really what was going through my head. I really wanted to do well. And um, so I interviewed many, many places. Everybody said I did wonderfully, and I waited and waited. The clock was ticking. School year was over. Jobs need to be had. All my friends had jobs. I was waiting. I had one job in my back pocket, which happened to be my former employer that I worked two summers for, that they said, hey, yeah, if you want to come back, you can come back. Uh, Not a very promising offer, but it was there. So I said, okay. But as time ticked on, even that offer had an expiration date. He said, if you don't call by Friday at 4.30, this offer's off the table. I waited till Friday at 4 o'clock. I called from the library of my college because I didn't want to risk not getting home and calling in time. I'd use the pay phone. They used to have those those days. You know, put some, <laughs> these cell phone users, the uh, pay phone. And I made the call. I said, I'll take it. Hung up the phone and drove home dejectedly. Um, I wasn't really excited about my new job. I should have been happy to have a job, right? Um, but I wasn't. And I got home. As I walked in the door, the phone rang. And my mom says, it's for you. So I said, yeah. Hey, this is so-and-so firm. Uh, we really like you. We don't know what happened. This has never happened to us before. We tried to offer you a job three weeks ago, but your paperwork got all messed up. And I don't know what happened, but I'm really hoping you haven't accepted another job. Yes, I have. Oh, shoot. And so they said, I'm really sorry. I hung up the phone. It wasn't a couple minutes later the phone rang again. It was the same story. Another company. I don't know. This never happens to us. I don't know what's going on. We wanted you. All of our people wanted you. but Yeah, yeah. I've already took another job. Three times this happened. Same conversation. My mom's at the end of the kitchen laughing. I go, Mom, this is not funny. 
This is not funny. She goes, well, I need to share something with you. I said, what's that? She goes, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to give you very much help in addressing what job offer was going to be best, the most money, the closest to home, the best job hours, the closest to your study technique. I, I had no ability to help you with those answers, but I knew someone who did. So I prayed that God would give you only one job offer until you took it. You did what? <laughs> well, God answered her prayer. But I have to tell you, it has had an impact on my life now for 43 years. I was with that company for 36 years. That company trained me to be a pastor here for the next six years, and I stand here as a man developed because of that choice and that prayer that my mom gave. We don't always have to have the answers. We need to pray. We need to pray. So let me just close with this. Our, if you want to be a person of great impact, do you have a purpose? Do you know who you're trying to reach? Do you know what you're trying to do? And do, are you aware of the distractions? Do you have a presence in their life, a real presence? Are you not dissuaded by troubles? Do you persevere? Will you last it out? Will you outweigh the rebelliousness of your child, will you still be there, still praying? And are you praying for them? Because I'm telling you, over a period of time, maybe months, years, decades, we will exert the influence that God has granted us if we do not give up and if we pray because we can be the people of impact we've always wanted to be. So to be, now you have to understand too, it won't happen overnight, but it's never too late to start. Never too late to start. I hope you start now. Father, would you make us people of impact like Jesus, like Paul, who knew what they were about, knew who they needed to reach, knew what they were supposed to do, and keep that as a primary focus. Father, we're so easily distracted, so easily taken off course, so easily entertained. Would you help us, Father, to make good decisions? And would you help us to be persistent and to pray? Father, when we don't know what to do and don't even have the power to do what we want to do, you do. You do. And you can make things turn out like you want them to. Help us to be part of your plan to impact our worlds for Jesus Christ beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.